Well, good morning, Chapel Hill. I'm Pastor Bill. I would love the children to come up here. Kids, I know they're kids at 1045. Come on up. Uh, I know you're here. Sit down. You can sit down right there. Sit down. Good to see all of you. Good morning. Good morning. I've been looking forward to this because I have something I want to show off this morning, and those are our pets. How many of you have a pet? A few of you? We have a pet too. The McDonald pets, are they around here? Oh, there's our cat. That's Nala. And we have dogs too. My daughter has Hannah and Beezy. Charlotte and Beezy are our pets. How many of you have a dog or a cat? I have both. You have both. Of course you do. And I, how many of you have something other than a dog or a cat? Okay, what do you have? Goldfish and chickens. Um, we had beta fish. Beta fish. You have a beta fish. Anything else? Any other pets that we haven't talked about yet? What? Two kinds of fish. Two kinds of fish. Okay. Fish are, each of them are unique, a different variety. A cockatiel. Okay, a bird. All right. Now, tell me how you, how you care for your pet. How do you care for your pet? You feed them, you walk them. Good, good. What other things do you do? Feed them. Sometimes you give them treats if they're good, huh? If you feel loving. Who else? Who else? What? Water. They need water. Yes. What else? You only feed them sometimes? Oh, when they're good? Oh, your dad only feeds them sometimes. I get that. Dad sometimes forget. What? You pray for her? Very good. You pray for your pet. That's really nice. Now, in our story here this morning that we're going to talk about, Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep. What do you think Jesus was talking about? Feed our people. Did you have a different? Feed people. What people? The Israelites. The Israelites what? Maybe who? Maybe us. Maybe us, yeah. God's people, you're right. So when Jesus was saying to Peter, feed my sheep, he was talking about God's people, right? Yeah. What kind of ways do... Do God's people need to be fed? How do they need to be fed? Yeah, you don't want to leave them alone. You got to. You definitely have to feed them. Yeah. That's right. God's people need to be fed, right? Just like your pet. And what kind of food do God, what kind of spiritual food do God's people need? Good food. We hope good. the food is good. Anybody know? How about things like coming to church? Things like hearing the word or worship, just like we had worship. Holy food. It's got to be holy food. Awesome. All right. Let's pray together. Father in heaven. 
we thank you for these beautiful lambs that we have before us here. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be good shepherds, to feed them well and feed the sheep that you bring into our lives. Bless this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, good job, you guys. You can go back to mom and dad. All right. The little lambs. I so appreciated this morning getting this reminder about mops. It says, Pastor Bill, little Elmo diaper, Pastor Bill, don't forget mops. Fortunately, it was out of my hand, so I didn't, I didn't forget mops. It was uh, on a video, and it was really a wonderfully, wonderful video made. Well, good morning. Uh, we are continuing on in a series we're calling Life on the Water. And uh, this morning, Jesus is talking to Peter, and it's a difficult conversation. Um, it's after Jesus has been resurrected, and Jesus appears to the disciples in John 21. And it's about the topic of restoration. That's something we don't necessarily talk about a lot. There are all kinds of restoration. Now, some of you guys out there probably restore cars. And I'm looking at my friend David Smith. He restores wood and makes things out of wood. Um, We just recently completed, like yesterday, my wife and I completed the restoration of a cedar deck. Any of you done that here? I bet there are a few hands in here. I was in Home Depot one day, and one of the members of the church told me what, you know, I needed to get a a stripper. I mean, not just a little stripper, but I needed to buy the machine to strip all the old paint off the deck. And this was literally a months-long process, and it culminated yesterday in staining the deck. And I let my wife do that because she's more of a perfectionist than I am. And I wanted it to look good, or at least I couldn't be blamed for it not looking so good. And, you know, when you have a 25-year-old deck and the boards have been replaced over the years and, you know, nothing quite matches, I mean, I mean you got to give a little grace here, right? So I thought it was beautiful because it looked very old world. I love that look. In fact, if you've had an instrument, a musical instrument that's old and has been restored... You know that if somebody has worked on the wood, repaired a crack, and maybe revarnished it, it has that, it, maybe all the wood doesn't look the same, it's like a little different color, but I kind of like that because if it's an old vintage instrument, it may still have a beautiful sound. Well, this, no, this morning we're talking about a little different kind of restoration. We're talking about the restoration of a person, and that's honestly a bit more involved. And it often involves, with restoration of people, difficult conversations. Now, hard conversations are not bad. They can be extremely useful. In fact, they're necessary in order to restore people. But they oftentimes feel very awkward when we're in a difficult conversation because it involves correction. And none of us like to be corrected. I really haven't met anybody yet that likes to be corrected. And yet, God corrects us all the time. Thank you, Ellis, for your confession. God corrects us all the time through the Holy Spirit and because he wants us to be restored. He wants us to be restored to right relationship with him and right relationship to other people. So he does that all the time in our lives. In fact, the first 10 years of ministry, I can't tell you how many times... I read and meditated on Hebrews 12, which says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline 
And do not lose heart when he rebukes you, for the Lord disciplines those that he loves. And he punishes everyone he accepts as a son or daughter. Uh, when, when I was finishing up with seminary, I had just taken Peter Wagner's course at Fuller Seminary on church planting, and I was all gung-ho to church plant, and I somehow was able to convince my wife to do that with me on our first venture out of the chute. And we went back to Detroit, Michigan, to the EPC headquarters, where they had church planting assessment testing, and Jenny and I went through that, and somehow they passed us, and they gave us the green light, and we had funding and all of that stuff, and we had one person in our life, a pastoral mentor of mine, who I was serving under at his church for three years, and he said, Bill, I think you should wait a few years and get a little bit more ministry before you go out and you do church planting. He says, it's a hard ministry, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt if you had a little more experience under your belt. And I thought to myself, no, 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 I am so excited. You know, God is with me. I mean, shoot, Rick Warren can do it. Why can't I? That's about the time Rick Warren was only had about 6,000 people in his church instead of 60,000 now. So out we went. About a year and a half into that venture, I was having my devotions, and I came across a passage that you all know well, Proverbs 19.2, right? Everybody have that memorized? It says, it's not good to have zeal without knowledge, nor to be hasty and miss the way. And I read those words and my heart just sank because I realized that I'd gone into this and I was long on zeal and short on knowledge. I really was under-equipped to do this particular ministry and I was underfunded. And after two years, Jenny and I decided to pull the plug on it. We were in Phoenix, Arizona. And the Lord in His grace restored us to ministry three years later but not before he gave me the opportunity to deliver pizzas and to sell cars and to work in Watts in South Central Los Angeles. So this morning, we're going to read a a very well-known story about restoration, Jesus' restoration of Peter. And I want us to listen today. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger... You dressed yourself, and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you 
where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would make this uh, familiar passage to many of us, that you would make it personal today, and that you would speak to us through it. In Jesus' name, amen. In John chapter 20, Jesus had revealed himself twice to the disciples after his resurrection. In John 21, he reveals himself a third time. Seven out of the 12 disciples were at the Sea of Galilee. And Peter, of course, the ringleader, said, I'm going fishing. John and James, who were also fishermen, they thought, hey, that sounds like a pretty good idea. We'll go with Peter too. And the rest of the guys followed suit. So they all got in the boat. They went out. They went fishing over the course of the night, and they caught nothing. Nada. At daybreak, Jesus stood on the shore, and he looked out, and he saw the disciples, and they didn't recognize him. And he said to them, friends, did you catch any fish? And I don't know if there are any fishermen or not out here, but you know how you love to hear that question when you've been skunked at fishing, you know, and people ask you, did you catch any fish? They said, no. Throw the net over on the other side of the boat. Now, the, the real miracle of this story is that the disciples actually listened to Jesus and they moved the net to the other side of the boat. Now, they had fished all night, they were tired, the net was heavy, yet they did it anyway, and immediately it says, the net was full of fish. And the light bulb went on for John, the apostle, and he said to Peter, Peter, it's the Lord! And Peter, in his typical, enthusiastic, exuberant self, jumps off the boat and swims to shore to see Jesus, leaving, of course, his buddies behind to drag the fish in the shore. And on the beach, Jesus had a little fire going. He was cooking up some filet of fish sandwiches, first time. And, by the way, I forgot to mention, and John mentions this in his story, there were 153 large fish in the net. Now, why in the world? Who cares that there are 153 fish? John cared that there were 153 fish because he was a fisherman. And that was a day, you know, that was a lot of money. He and his brother made, made some coin that day. That's why he said there were 153 fish. And also, he wanted to be able to share this fish story for a long time. Jesus said, come and eat. And it says, John says, none of them dared ask him, who are you? Because they all knew it was Jesus. And then John writes, Jesus came and he took the bread and he gave it to them. What does that remind you of? Reminds us, of course, of the last meal that they had just shared with Jesus. When they were sharing the last meal together and he was saying all kinds of you, taking the bread, giving thanks, this is my body that is broken for you. They were remembering these things and all the things that started after that, 
Jesus' arrest, Peter's denial, Jesus' suffering and his crucifixion that all seemed to happen so quickly after that. I wonder what they were talking about, those seven disciples with Jesus the morning of that breakfast. You know, John doesn't tell us. I think actually it was probably pretty quiet. I think they were probably a little bit afraid of talking. Maybe there's a little bit of awkwardness in the air. Because there's some things that had to be cleared up. There's some restoration that had to happen. And so Jesus turned to Peter after breakfast. And he said, Peter, do you love me more than these We're not exactly sure what Jesus was talking about there. He might have been saying, do you love me more than these disciples love me? Or do you love me more than, he could have been looking at the fishing boats, than fishing? Or do you, you know, we're not exactly sure, but Peter maybe isn't sure either. And so Peter just responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so three times Jesus asks that question, and three times Jesus says, or Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. As if to reverse the three denials that Peter had betrayed Jesus with. What I really think is, is critical in that dialogue and conversation is the last time Jesus asked Peter the question, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, John writes that Peter was grieved because Jesus said to him a third time, do you love me? And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. I can imagine that in that moment that Peter was filled with deep remorse. He was deeply sad in heart. Because John writes that he was grieved. He was deeply grieved because he knew that he had betrayed Jesus three times. He was the one who said of all the twelve, the rest of them may go, but I'll lay down my life for you, Jesus. And then Jesus said, no, you won't. You're going to deny me three times. Peter must have been devastated. I think Jesus asked him, that question three times because he was waiting to see contrition, remorse in Peter's heart. It was that sincere remorse that Jesus was looking for. And that is really important. You know, that's a a prerequisite for ministry, real ministry with Jesus. Did you know that? Possessing a contrite spirit is so important in ministry. You might be the most gifted minister in all the world, but if you're not broken, if you're not humble, God can only use you so far. Brokenness is more important than degrees. It's more important than pedigree. James says that God exalts the humble and humbles the exalted. I remember through different seasons of ministry that I'd be reading through the Psalms and 
the Holy Spirit would put a searchlight on, a bright light on Psalm 51:17, And it says this, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And I think that was important for me to hear at many different times along the journey. But I think that's an important word for a lot of us to hear who have been in the church for a long time or even a little while. Because when we go to church, we can kind of think, gee, what really, God really cares about is that I, I give all my time to God or I give all my money to God. And that's not, I don't believe, what is most important to God for us. What God cares about is a contrite heart, a broken spirit, a humble, surrendered spirit, a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. Sometimes when I need a a fresh, contemporary uh, rendering of a scripture, I'll go to the message. And in Psalm 51, 17, the message says, going through the motions doesn't please you. A flawless performance is nothing to you. I learned God worship when my pride was shattered. Heart-shattered lives, ready for love, don't for a moment escape God's notice. I think there was something that Jesus was waiting to see in Peter. And he finally was able to see that after the third time he asked the question, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know that I love you. You know that I love you. You know all things. You know, in that moment, Peter could have felt completely disqualified from ministry. He could have been saying to himself, Lord, I'm totally unworthy. I'm too broken. I'm too bad. My mistakes have been too great. There's just no way you can accept me. I'm unacceptable to be in ministry any longer. But you know what? Jesus doesn't go there, and Peter doesn't go there either, and we shouldn't go there. Some of you sitting in here this morning may feel like, I am, I, you know, my life in the past has been too bad. God can't really use me for ministry. You know, I've screwed up too many times for really to be, to be used by God. And you know what? That's the whole point of making Peter his first great shepherd of the church in Jerusalem. Because Peter had the biggest heart but was the biggest screw-up. And so he uses Paul in the same way. And what does Paul say? The murder of the first Christians. Paul isn't being self-effacing when he says, I am the least of the apostles. I am the least of the brethren. No, he's speaking the truth because he, he persecuted the church and now God had him in a place where he was the church's greatest evangelist. God doesn't do things by accident. We're not junk. We have a famous, a favorite saying we like to say in Celebrate Recovery, 
God doesn't waste a hurt. God wants to take all the hurts and the brokenness of your life and he wants to remake you into a vessel that he can use, that his spirit can shine through to the world. And while I'm on the topic a little bit, what I love about Celebrate Recovery is that God sends people to Celebrate Recovery. Man, they come from so many different walks of life. They come from so many experiences. And I think about each one of them, and I think, oh my gosh, God is using you to reach these folks, this kind of person I could never reach. But you can because of your unique walk with God and your unique experience. People will listen to you and hear you because of where you've come from and how God has moved in your life. And so years later, Peter Peter writes a letter. And at the end of the letter... He says to the church leadership, he says, be shepherds of God's flock. Do you think he was thinking about that conversation with Jesus? Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Now, this really reminds me of that conversation. Not because you must, but because God wants you to be. He wants you to be willing Because you are willing as God wants you to be. Being examples to the flock. Can't you hear Jesus saying to Peter, Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, feed my lambs. Tend my sheep, Peter. Do it because I want you to be willing. Do it. And let me tell you, if you've done ministry at all, served in the church... There's going to come a time when you're going to want to say, I'm done with this. Those people, those dirty sheep, they're disgusting. How can they call themselves Christians? Don't tell me you've never been there. The old joke is a pastor every Monday morning, you know, after they preach, is like, Lord, I want to quit ministry. I can't stand it anymore. So how does God want to apply this passage to our lives today? Here's what I think. We all have sheep to feed. The question is, do you know who's in your flock? Deuteronomy 6, which is the passage I used to actually think about quite a bit when I was a young man considering ministry, when we were newly married and thinking about a family. I'd read Deuteronomy 6, and I'd think about this passage. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and all of your strength. We know that. That's the first and greatest commandment. But then listen what follows. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your heart. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Let it just 
ooze out of your pores, out of your whole life. So if you're a parent here today or you're a grandparent, you know who your flock is. You have a flock. Your kids, your grandkids, you may know that. Your, your charge is to feed them. Teach them God's word. Give them a love for his word. Give them a love for worship. Show them that you want to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Raise your hand. Let them know that you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that you need to walk in the spirit rather than in the flesh because if, if you walk in the flesh, you just are a different person. Let them know that. If you're a person sitting in here today and you have a child or you have a grandchild that's a prodigal, then you need to be on your hands and knees and you need to be praying, interceding for them. Let the hound of heaven loose on them. There's no better shepherd than the great shepherd. He can get our children back in a way we could never imagine. Just don't put constraints on him. We all have little lambs and we all have sheep in our lives. And the sad thing is that when Jesus sends a little sheep our way or a little lamb and they've got from Jesus on the sleeve and you don't recognize it, they kind of come in limping or they're sort of, you know, discombobulated. And you kind of look at them and think, oh my gosh, you know, they're like way beyond me. I can't, I, I don't know what to, I don't know how to help them. I'm too busy right now. Would, would you please go away? Can't you see that I've got a lot of the things going on? I am really tired. You know, God sends sheep to churches to be cared for and to be loved and to be fed and to be nurtured. And if a church isn't willing to receive sheep anymore, he sends them somewhere else. I'm so grateful at our Celebrate Recovery. Last week, we had six new people. The week before, we had eight new people. Now, sometimes they stay and sometimes they don't. I can't, I can't make them stay or whatever. They, maybe they'll find help there. Maybe they won't. But the point is, I believe that we're healthy enough to be able to receive people that God is sending sheep our way because they need help. So the question of the hour this morning is, who are the sheep that God is sending you? Maybe you know your little flock. My question is, would you be willing to receive one more stray? Or maybe for some of you here this morning, you're like Peter was on the Sea of Galilee with Jesus and the other disciples and you feel like you're on the sideline because you've screwed up too badly to be in the ball game anymore. And Jesus says to you, my goal for you is restoration. I want you to be in the game. I want you to be serving and becoming more like me. Stop thinking that you're too bad to be able to serve anymore. Don't you get a kick out of the fact, I don't know how many of you have ever at, you know, invited a family member or a friend who doesn't attend church and they said, oh, I can't, you know, I can't go to church. If I, want, if I walked into the church, the, the roof would cave in. Anybody ever heard that before? I mean, I've heard that on a number of occasions. And I say, ha, ha, ha. 
you know. But underneath that, underneath that facade is probably a wail of, of, of hurt. Probably a feeling of unworthiness. I can't go to church. I've just, I've made too much of a mess of my life. God can't forgive me. We know that's a lie that the enemy uses to keep people out of his kingdom. But there, we might even be here at church today and we, we might still be buying into that a little bit. So if you're sidelined, God wants you to get unstuck and he wants you to come back fully participating in the fold. I'll tell you what, this is a real issue for Chapel Hill. This isn't just a sermon. This is actually an issue for our church because we've, we've actually hired a person. I can't forgive me for the exact title, but it has to do with volunteers because we're struggling to get volunteers for ministry. That's not what this sermon was about. But when you have an, when you have an army and you have an army that's not, if it's not serving, then something's a little bit of a miss. So I don't know why I said that, but it wasn't even in my notes. But alas, if the Lord is saying to you, get in the game. He wants you. He needs you. He needs you to be a shepherd. He needs you to receive sheep. He needs you to invite people. He wants you to care for folks. Maybe you're brand new to faith, or maybe you're, maybe you're checking out faith. You're not sure what you believe about God, but you would really like to meet a seasoned shepherd who could teach you some more about Christianity. Christianity. 